For Mental Health Awareness Month, we are focusing on four entrepreneurs who are using their entrepreneurial power to make a difference for mental health. In the past two weeks, I brought you the conversation that I had with Marika Reese and Andrew Herr. And today I am bringing you a new conversation with Andrew Ammon. He is the CEO of 923, which is an agency that builds apps for mobile and web. He probably doesn't think of himself as somebody who is operating in the mental health space, but Andrew and his team have faced a really unique challenge these past months. 25 members of their development team are based in Ukraine. And so I invited him to come on the podcast and talk about how his company has supported those team members, what strategies they've utilized, and what he is learning about leadership and about mental health from going through this experience. Our interview is based on um, an attendee talk that he gave at MicroConf in April. It was a really moving talk, and I was struck by how much power business owners have in times of crisis, especially if they are kind of ready to step into crisis leadership positions. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Andrew. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. I think one of the reasons that I wanted to talk with you is as I was watching your microconf talk, you had a slide that said something simple like, are you okay? Where are you? Where are you going? And maybe I've misremembered it, but it was a couple very simple questions. And I was thinking about you as a leader of a company and the fact that maybe you hadn't had to ask such simple, straightforward, basic questions of your team before. But with team members in Ukraine right now, of course, it's a really important question to ask. Are you okay? Yeah. And what's interesting about it is there isn't a plan for it. There isn't a playbook. There isn't a person you can talk to. You end up being who you truly are in an event like this. We've been calling it a black swan event because you can't predict for this and you can't understand how you're going to react when you're presented with something as as crazy as war. And I think that night, right, we found out that they were getting hit. There was talks that Russia was going to attack. And so the team kind of knew it, but nobody believed it was going to happen. And when it did, you know, we're seeing the bombs, we're seeing the the explosions. And I asked my co-founder, like, what do we do? And he, he simply said, like, get some sleep. And then we didn't communicate with each other for the next four to five to six hours, because each one of us subconsciously or consciously or however you want to look at it, just dove to the DM, created the list of all the 25 Ukrainians that were in our company and sent a direct message. We didn't blast it in a channel. We didn't like have some like blanket statement. We felt responsible to say something individually. And looking back, I mean, I can retrospectively think of the events that led there. But at the time, neither one of us said like, hey, send direct messages to each person. Go see how each person's doing. 
I don't know, your, your brain kicks into to emotions and trying to figure out how are they feeling. And the only way you can do that is by sending that direct message so you can get each response. And so you're exactly right. The three questions were, are you okay? Where are you? And where are you going? And I don't think that was the original question, but after like talking to two or three people, I realized they started traveling. They started moving quickly away from where they were and they tried to get out of the cities. So your first reactions to this kind of unfolding crisis weren't super coordinated or intentional. It was it was the sense of like, just on a human level, reaching out to each one of your team members in Ukraine and, and asking these very simple questions. Right. And that gave you some data, right? You learned that people were moving around, that probably people had different concerns for their families. And so how did you begin to formulate a strategic plan? Or I guess maybe what I really want to ask is, how did you begin to put together your philosophy of what your relationship as a company would be to these individuals who are now all of a sudden in the midst of this crisis? Yeah, I didn't understand the power that a company has to an individual's, how important a company is to an individual until really this happened to us. I didn't think we were going to be the communication channel. I always thought, just like we do in America, you kind of work, as you're, if you're a W-2 employee, you work for your company, and you have a few friends here or there in a W-2 job, but for the most part, you don't rely on that company to get you out of crisis mode, right? You don't call the company if you're having relationship problems with your family or your wife. They're not that type of relationship. With a remote company, though, you're constantly on cameras with individuals in other countries, and you have this closeness that you're calling each other when kids are around, when dogs are around, when families are around. And when this happened, I didn't realize that the company was going to be the the place of resource for 25 individuals to communicate about what's really going on in their country. Is this city getting hit? Is this city safe? If I travel here, can you help me? I have, you know, four people with me, two kids. I'm traveling between these two cities. Does anyone know of an apartment that I can stay in? And the company reached out and said, stay with me. I can help you. I can be with you. And it wasn't that we had done much. We just created the communication channel and the company was able to support them because we had that relationship of the 25 individuals all over the place using each other as a trusted resource. And you had this background of kind of being in each other's homes, so to speak, not literally, but digitally through seeing kids and seeing dogs running back and forth. You had this familiarity as a distributed team that sort of made a web of connection between the 25 people who were in Ukraine. Right. And the other thing that I think happened so quickly was we had made that commitment that like, hey, like, don't worry about money. We're still going to pay you. Like, get that out of your mind and stay safe. Like, focus on your family, focus on your well-being. And again, that wasn't a decision. It was just like a natural human reaction. And I remember when I was talking to Pavel about it, I was like, hey, should we send the money to them now? It wasn't like, hey, are we going to pay them or not going to pay them? It's should we transfer it immediately now or should we wait until the end of the month? Because it was the 24th that this all happened. You had four days to the 28th. And we wanted to see, like, did they actually need the money? How do we get the stuff to the banks? Like, all those crossed our minds. But I think that consciousness of, hey, we're going to you know, get you through this team. Don't worry financially about this. Just, like, keep yourself safe. Allow them to do what they needed to do with their safety and their family. As you've had a little bit of space from those initial days... And, you know, had the opportunity to talk about this experience with some different founders. I mean, it's not directly obvious to everyone that you would keep paying every team member, regardless of their ability to work. Why do you think that was so obvious to you? 
or you didn't even really think it through or talk about it? I was more shocked when I found out that companies did not do that so soon. When you build a company, especially an agency, you're constantly worried about you know the next customer, the next project. Because when you end a project, you're always hunting for work. It's not like a software company where you have predictable revenue. And when I found out that people were canceling within three days, five days, or six days, it shocked me because you have to plan for some event, not even a war, but let's say a hurricane or a tornado or something that's just as severe and detrimental to a company. And you have to know that your company can get through a month. So from a cash flow standpoint, it's just obvious to me that we had enough cash to support for whatever it needed to be. But then from the human level, these individuals all worked for us for two, three years. And every single profit that we had made, every dollar that we had made was because of their efforts and their contributions and their minds and their interest in like building these products that we all built together. So if any one of us is in crisis, why shouldn't we support them first until we go out of business, right? Like let's all go out of business together because it's not their fault. They're not doing anything that's harming them. Like they're not trying to inflict pain on the company. They're not being negligent in their work or slacking or yeah. Yeah. Any of those. And more importantly, like they are so innocent in this, they are scrambling from a horrible dictator that is causing pain to their country and their families and their houses. And these individuals are just trying to scramble to stay safe. And it's our responsibility to help them stay safe. So either like the money's for them, the donations are for them, the troops, their, their support. That was the thought, like, we're not going to restrict that money for us just because they're in a world of, of a, like a different world now. And I think that is based the human aspect and the fact that you should have a little bit of reserves to at least mm -hmm. a month is kind of like, hey, we're getting the money there as quickly as we can. I think that's just almost parenthetically, I think that's a really important takeaway from this story is the the way that distributed teams are some perhaps uniquely vulnerable to the ebb and flow of the many, many different communities in which people are located. I mean, I live in Minneapolis here in the US and in the weeks following George Floyd's death, many people couldn't work. And just, it was too chaotic and too much suffering. And it's not the kind of thing that you plan for as a business, but if you are going to have touch points all around the world, the likelihood that there will be some kind of instability or natural disaster or something that disrupts work, I think increases with all those different locations. So having the reserves is kind of just a good business sound financial planning to take care of your people. But this this has gone on longer than a couple of days and a couple of weeks. Um, and you and your your co-founder have had to get kind of a, a little bit creative in how you continued to financially cover your team as they've been in crisis. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you've done and some of the unique strategies that you put together? Sure. And I think it dovetails what you were just saying about as a society, we have become a globalized you know workforce. And we've intentionally chosen the countries we work with whether it's for cost or smarts or strategic partnerships or areas, we've intentionally selected countries. So when something happens, it's, it's almost like we're all in it together and the governments don't necessarily have the ability to block us anymore like they did in the past. Banks blocked us, right? We couldn't get money there. So we were able to transfer money in a different formation, right? And all of these different events that the politics had, whether it's in America, Ukraine or Russia, the team is what mattered and the communication between the team allowed us to do you know, transactions for money or communication that you typically couldn't do before the internet, obviously, but in other scenarios of war. But the question that you're asking is like, 
since the war now, and now that we're, you know, waiting for Ukraine to win this thing and kind of it's being dragged on a little bit longer than we originally thought. Anyone hoped. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As anyone hoped that the challenges that we really faced is since we had to pay the team, we had to supplement each developer because we have client projects and those client projects require a certain number of hours each month to submit code to make sure that that product's sustainable and that that person's paying us for the work being done. So since we knew that, we had to supplement that by hiring new developers from different countries and blending them into our team in the first week. And so we basically, uh, like at MicroConf, I was saying we went from a utilization score of about 65% before the war down to 20% during the war, meaning that 20% of the company is just unable to work. I mean, 80% of the company is unable to work. And within a week, all of our work that efforts that we made in hiring developers, supporting the team, supporting the Ukrainians brought us back up to about 40%. And then the most amazing thing happened without us asking and without us like imagining that it was even possible. The entire team, all 25 members of, of our team in Ukraine started putting in hours. And to this day, they've been putting in hours to all of our client projects, you know, and we've been working. I was just on a call before this podcast. We had to end the call because there's fire alarms and, and missile alarms. And it's the reality that we're living with now of keeping them safe. They are submitting work when they can and when they're safe too. They're helping us. And I think the answer is because we helped them so early on, they've continued to help the company and the growth of this and their, the stability of the company over time now. Yeah, there's there's certainly the human aspect of you've helped me and now I want to show up for you. But I, I also think what's so interesting, and I've heard this certainly in, in many, many situations outside of your company, but the, the individual value in people being able to do some work, right? What it feels like when you're surrounded by chaos and nothing feels normal to open up the laptop and sit down and look at code or, you know, look at Slack, like do these things that are so normal and relatively predictable compared to the external environment. My co-founder is from Israel and he's lived there. He was in the military like everybody in Israel is. He knew that because he's been through this, when you're in war, you have one eye on your code or your work and you have the other eye on the news. And even as the Ukrainians have come back to work, you know, the hours, we are completely aware that they are watching the news to make sure that their families and their cities are remaining safe because anything can change. So you're not getting the direct, you know, input all the time, but you're also being respectful of the fact that like they're helping out where they can. They're trying to stay, you know, somewhat grounded with the work that's in front of them, but they're also their consciousness and their families and their dinners. Everything's changed a little bit or a lot. And they're thinking about the news and their families at the same time. So there's a little bit of understanding from the company that we need to support that and we need to reduce the, the requirements. But that's why we have the supplemented team. Is this sustainable for the long term for your business? I mean, again, hopefully this resolves quickly, but it's not been quick. <laughs> so we've been working as the management team through our growth plan for the last few weeks and we can stay solvent as a company under these conditions for the rest of time. We have figured out how to manage this crisis with the work output that the team is providing. Obviously, there would be more profits if we didn't have six developers where we were getting paid for four, but it's also the customers are understanding of our situation. I, I actually, I'll say this thing too. I think we become a stronger company. We become a more resilient company and we've had a team bonding experience for better or worse through this experience 
that has allowed us to more cohesively work together. So I think the efficiency is up. And over the long run, we've promised ourselves that we were going to pay them and they were going to continue to you know, assist where they can. And if that's what it happens to be, I think you just adjust your numbers and you roll with it because we're not going to leave them, you know, without an income and they're committing the same brain power that they were able to before. So I, I think we could remain like this as long as possible as we hope it ends soon too. What are you learning about communication as a leader? Cause it, again, from these early moments of you interacting with your team to then also needing to talk with your clients to then needing to hire and supplement. And I mean, there's been a lot of human interaction to try to make this work. So what is what have, what have you been learning about communication? I'll tell you the most life-changing communication things that have happened to me in the first week, in the first 12 hours when the war started. It'll be life-changing of how I do business for the rest of my life. And that is that the people that are our clients and the people that our team and the people that I work with and the people that called us in those first 12 hours and asked, how are you doing? How can we help? What are you dealing with? Is there anything I can do for the team? Those are the people that I want to work with for the rest of my life. And it's not just those in particular people, but the way that they think and the morals that they have, the compassion they have, the empathy that they have, the understanding that we're all not just staring at screens typing, but there's a human typing there and that human needs care right now and security and some patience for us to get through this. And then more importantly, the trust that our clients had in us that we were going to solve their problems, which was we were going to figure out how to get enough hours into the projects. We just need time and patience. They didn't pressure us, the correct ones. They didn't pressure us. They didn't tell us like, hey, by this date, can you make sure this and this is happening? They gave us space and they understood that we were competent enough to understand what was going on and competent enough to know that at a certain point in the near future, we're going to support their work. But the biggest life-changing thing is those individuals that contacted us in those first days or, or weeks that were clients that are not in line with that. Those are people that you have dinner with or you talk with and you just kind of always have this thing and you're always like not on the same page or whatever it happens to be. They are the ones that end up being the deteriorating relationship. And from a business perspective, I'm starting to understand you want to work with people you like working with. And when you get to a certain point in business, you want to continue to work with those individuals for however long that it takes. And when you select a client or a business partner, you want to work with the people who have the same morals, the same empathy and the same feelings so that you can get through crisis together, but you can also get through success together. Now that that's so clear to you, do you have a sense of how you would be able to tell whether a potential client or potential team member, whether they have values that really align with yours in that kind of magical way? Yeah, I have a group that I communicate with once a month. We all kind of talk about our business problems and issues, and they call me like the guru of efficiency. And I look at scenarios and I can predict a feeling or, or a way that somebody's going to be based on certain interactions. And one of the best ones is like, I remember a few years ago, we were trying to do a business deal and we ended up going to dinner with this individual, meeting him for the first time. And I remember sitting down and the waitress came over and just like they're serving us food. And just like most of us were like, please, can I have this? Thank you for coming over. You know, can I have some water, please? You know, I would like this burger. How's the burger, please? Like those types of interactions is showing respect for person that's serving you. And the person sitting across the table from me that we were trying to do business with did not act like that. They 
Hey, I want the burger. Hey, you know, I need some water. Like now, like, Hey, I see you over like just the, the reaction that is not in line with our morals or our type of way of being human. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We ended up doing business with this person. And over the course of two years, the relationship deteriorated to the point where our only goal was to leave without getting sued. And that relationship was predictive from the time we sat at the restaurant. And I think that you, you need to take the signal and the noise that's happening when you're meeting somebody and really think like, you know, that's, that's a weird thing that they did. That's an interesting tidbit that they said. And that type of thinking that you see early on and kind of your like your primitive brain, like your, your front of frontal lobe, you know, reaction to how somebody's reacting to you actually could be a good reason to show a little caution. And so I think those signs of like being at a restaurant or being in a scenario where you're in a group and watching how they interact with others or walking, watching how they interact with the other teammates gives you a sign of, do they have the same compassion that you do? What are you learning about mental health as you support these team members who are in crisis, but also is, I don't mean to imply that you are experiencing the same kind of crisis that they are, because I know you're not, but you are experiencing a different version of a business challenge. So I guess I'm curious, both in your observations of your team members and for yourself, what are you learning about mental health among professionals? Yeah, it's real tough to think about yourself in any of these. Like in the last, it's been seven weeks now. In the last seven weeks, what we did as a company is an accomplishment that I will never forget, but it doesn't matter because we saved 25 people from not losing their jobs. We doubled our costs within two days, three days. We had to double our revenues in four weeks to resolve the fact that we doubled our costs. And for an agency, that's just unheard of. Going through that, you go from one step to the next and your mental ability is basically trying to think, how do I get to the next task without burning bridges? I'm trying to constantly weigh risk and I'm trying to constantly weigh the scenarios that can come into this you know, decision that we're trying to make. And so mentally, you're constantly forcing yourself into the next scenario and forgetting about the past because you can't dwell on any risk scenario that you've now moved past. And as you move from step to step, your brain is constantly pushing you forward and you get to the end of it. We had this great accomplishment that we doubled our revenue and we had no celebration. We had no reward. We had no cheerings or cheers or anything like that. We're like, great. Now we know the team is going to be safe for two months, right? That's our reward is that safety. And mentally, without rewards, you fall into this gap of like just negative emotions, right? Yourself, like myself, I, I couldn't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Like I couldn't figure out how to get there. And then we did, but I didn't reward myself. I didn't give myself the carrot. And so you just saw the next tunnel. Yeah. You just see the next tunnel and you're constantly looking at the battles and I think as humans, we need to sit back. Like, I kind of wish it, like I talked to my wife a lot about this. I wish she had at least said, you did it. Like, this is like the company made it. And like, let's go to dinner. Let's just like not think about anything else because we had a tough time through the end of this where I didn't see the kids for three, four weeks. I worked for so much. My mind's constantly on the team. I didn't sleep. I'd wake up at 2 a.m. just on my phone, just seeing if their green lights are on. And so my wife like gave me the space, but then I wish at the end of the two weeks or three weeks, we kind of just said like, all right, our family's safe. Like we're here in America. We don't have to worry about this stuff. 
let's just relax for a night and then go back to it. Right. But I haven't stopped in seven weeks. And I think that mental challenge is very hard to to put on any human, never mind the fact that the 25 people in Ukraine are still scrambling. I mean, now as we talk about this, what gets in the way of you stopping for a couple of days? A day. Let's make it easier. A day. Yeah. Before we hit the revenue numbers that we needed to hit to be secure, I didn't feel like it was right or fair that there were people relying on us to provide them with an income and we promised them that we would provide them that income. We need to make sure that the company is secure enough to do that. Now I still am in the mode of, all right, we made it at least back to even. So how, I don't know, stopping now is not fair because they're working during the time of war, right? And I think it's a fair, like, is it fair for me to go somewhere in America while they are struggling with what they're struggling with? And I think that consciousness is, is what weighs on. I'm not going to take a few hours out because every hour I put in, maybe I can get another opportunity. And of course, the problem with that logic is that I don't ever see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> yes. Andrew's like, I did not sign up for a therapy session with you. Um, <laughs> well, like, I, have my share. You're like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but no, you're right. It's, well, it's a sustainability problem. It's a sustainability problem because obviously you cannot work as much as you've been working for very much longer without imploding your health, your mental well-being, your family, without sort of destabilizing yourself, which is going to compromise your ability to show up in any effective way for your company. Right. I will say, though, what I did learn through this is that the routines are just madly important for mental health. Like it, you cannot get away. My co-founder is very good at this. I've run the most I've ever run in my last 10 years. I've been consistent with that. I've drank less than I've you know, drank. And I think the routines of making sure my computer's off at a certain point, regardless of like what is going on, once the Ukrainians are basically past 10 p.m. or 11 p.m., the messages are stopping. And so that's 4 p.m. our time. And I can turn off then. I can take a little break and, and like not worry about that. And it's been seven weeks. So we're also kind of, for the worst thing to say, is like, we're getting used to the the mode that our business is operating in. So our routines have changed, but our routines are also in this pattern of... There's a new normal in a way. There's a new normal, yeah. And so I've learned the, that my routine is just as important of getting to run, getting to exercise, going to bed at a certain time, waking up at a certain time. And I'm, I'm better at that. This is actually going to be my best sleep month of all time. That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. Coming off of last month, my probably worst sleep month of all time, to flip that so quickly in March, I think is, is consciousness of knowing what I put my body through. Yeah. And I just want to affirm what it sounds like you've, you've just learned very organically, but you know, I've, I spent the vast majority of the first part of my career working in the trauma world in the kinds of situations where the team would be dropped into sort of critical incidents after a natural disaster or after a shooting or something. And they're really, really high stress engagements for a short period of time. But my teachers and mentors were so good about doing the very things that you're talking about. Like when you're in that high intensity situation, you are on for 12 hours a day. But in those 12 hours when you're not on, you're running, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're drinking your water, you're doing all of those basics that help to optimize your performance. I wonder if you, um, if there's anything that you're reflecting on or that you've that you've learned from your Ukrainian team members about mental health or resilience? Yeah, communication is just so important. They 
are such a resilient group of people. They're so strong. They're so committed to winning this war. And they're so confident that they're going to win this war. I think what Zelensky has done in that country is created this, this bubble of we're going to win this no matter what. And every single person in this country is going to believe this. And they do. And I do. And our team does. And it's just a matter of how are they going to get there and who's going to help them get there. So the team itself has been backed by this country, by this man, by this experience that no matter what happens in the next day, month or week, they are going to win this. And it's up to the world and the country to support them. And we are right. I'm doing a little piece. My co-founder is doing a little piece. The company's doing a little piece. America's doing a piece. And we're all supporting this, this, this cause. But it didn't come from nowhere because they defended themselves, because they all believed it and because that country knew so strongly that they were going to win regardless from day one that we all backed them. And I think our team has that same mentality. They know we were going to help them through this. They know that they were going to get through this. And that mental model that they've painted in their picture is something that we can all take away as a lesson when you're going through a crisis of really anything is how can you defeat this? And who are the people around you that are going to support the belief that you have? And in this case, the belief is you know, victory and and back to normal for them in their houses, just like they were prior to the war starting. So the clarity of the mission. Yeah, yeah. Again, I would echo that, that people can do really, really difficult things when those things are important and they're clearly defined. And you look at what Zelensky has done is if there's a story that can create people to support it, right? Like the animals or the zoo you saw, like, there's certain stories that happen in Ukraine during this war, and that story gets amplified because we can all support that. We can all have a little emotional piece to that and say, this is wrong, and we are supporting these individuals that are being wronged. And they do a great job at that. And that clarity of like mission and team that he's created for that country is something that I think we can all learn as like a team building environment because it's incredible what they're going through and what they're accomplishing. Do you have any, I guess, thoughts or reflections for folk who are a little tired of the story or maybe are feeling a little just numb to the fact that this is, oh, it's still happening. Because it's it's very, very alive for you, but people who don't have that close touch point in Ukraine, I think it can feel like, oh, it's another, it's another news cycle. Yeah. I'll tell you, Sherry, there's two things that happened to me personally, not to the team that is related to that. One is that first weekend, I live in Boston and it was snowing. And when it snows in Boston, we get these alerts on our phone that's like, eh, eh, like snow. Snow emergency. I, I will not forget that we're talking with the team who's getting air raids, like missiles are falling from the sky. And I remember I was at night with my wife and the, the white fluffy snow was falling from the sky and my phone's going off. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like it, it made me so angry that there is a separation of fear that Americans have that isn't true fear. Like snow falling from the sky is not something that we should have put into a government policy to say like every phone should be alerted. I thought that happened so that you knew where to park and not park. (laughs) But yeah. I was just sitting there being like, this is what we're working on. Like this is what we're learning everybody in my town right now about. And I'm sitting talking to 25 people who have a completely different alert on their phone. And then going through Twitter, because that's where my source of truth is. Like I really use Twitter to talk 
to the individuals that I know are in Ukraine or that's where I get my news from. I was angry when people shifted away from just talking about that. And the United States is not dealing with it. So everyone's talking about their business just like they regularly are. And because my mind is just focused on these 25 individuals, that's all I'm thinking about. So I'm frustrated that like people aren't talking about it, right? I'm like, why aren't you like looking at it this way? Like, how are you still doing business? And that's what your mind goes through because when you're in a bubble, you think you're the only one, you, you think you're not the only one dealing with it, but you realize that like in America, there are people that didn't have teammates in Ukraine and they're just running business as regular. So is everywhere else in the world. But then you relate that to Africa or anywhere else that's having poverty issues. If you're not involved, you ignore it and you forget and you don't put yourself in your shoes. Well, it's not, it's not your story. You don't have an attachment to the story if you're not in the story in a way. Unless you're so empathetically drawn that you sort of put yourself in the story, which is, again, I think it, it can be something to be frustrated about, about our fellow humans, but is also kind of part of our nature. Right. But it's a shame in a sense that it doesn't have to be the Ukraine war, but it could be poverty in Africa or wherever it happens to be. It's a shame that we don't get aware of that unless the news makes it a cycle to get us aware for some reason for them to make a profit, right? Why all of a sudden am I getting news feeds about I don't know, some event that's happening in the United States in some state that has no trickle effect to me. But the news cycle has decided that that's a fear story or that's a story that people will click on. And through this war, I realized that like I have to stay in my channels of Ukraine to make sure I'm getting updated, right? I have to find the people that are talking about it every single day. And I have to make the conscious effort to stay in those channels because those individuals are you know, still there, still fighting, still doing their thing. Whereas the regular news cycle is cautioned away. And I can't change the news cycle, but I can still be cognizant of what's going on with the team. And I guess to answer your question, like, it's just unfair that certain people live without worrying about this stuff. And then certain people do. And it's tough to interact with mm-hmm. someone that has a tie to a to a country that's in crisis. And you're in the story now, right? Through you, through your choices, through your business, through these connections. And yeah, it is hard to bump up against people who are... Not, not in that frame of mind. The questions get hard too, because there's nothing that I'm doing that's even remotely putting myself at risk, right? I'm here in America. So when people ask me questions about my team, I want to ensure them that they're safe, but I don't truly know that right at the time, right? I would have to go and ask and I would have to go and make sure that that's true, right? It's, I mean, that's the problem. Safety becomes relative. Yeah, and then that's... Right? Yeah. <laughs> they are alive. Are they safe? I mean... Right. And I think that's what goes through your mind when people ask. You're like, oh, I didn't talk to Anastasia today. I wonder how she's... You're like, you're constantly thinking, oh, there's a few people that I wonder how they're doing. And I don't know. Is it fair? Is it not? I, I, it's a tough one because we're involved. But did we choose to be involved? Yes. We supported these individuals and they're humans that we wanted to to be a part of our company and they're fantastic people. So yeah, sure. We're involved, but we're not actually, I'm not sitting here at risk in any way. I really appreciated your talk at MicroConf because I, as we discussed a little bit earlier, I think this is going to become increasingly like sort of a part of what it means to be a leader is to be adept at responding to crises like this. I think we got a version of it through the COVID-19 pandemic when certain communities were, I mean, you know, there was a time in New York for a couple of weeks where like people were just not functional. I think crisis leadership is is really going to be part of life for us in the 
near and distant future, especially with remote and distributed teams where you've got touch points all over the world. So I'm grateful for the amount of thought that you've done about it and the communication and the the way that you, I think, are are modeling how a business can be very human, but also function as a business. I mean, I think that's also what's interesting. You know, this isn't a donation. Like you've generated the business and the revenue to help cover folks and they are also contributing. It's a new balance, but it still is sort of a functional business that is sustainable for the long term. Right. You had said it in a previous podcast. You had mentioned that when you get presented with events like you, Sherry, personally, you said, I'm the type of person that can just roll with the risk. I'm the type of person that can just understand what's going to happen and just say, I'm ready to take it on. And you used a scientific word or a medical term. I can't remember what it was, but you're basically like saying there's certain type of the people that are leaders for the most part that know when risk gets sent to them. They're just like, all right, how many pitches do I got? Right. Or how many attempts do I need to do? And that's the maximum number of attempts I got. Great. I'll do it in one and I'll take that challenge. Everyone knew Russia was going to attack Ukraine. Like they were sitting on the borders, right? No one knew that it was actually going to happen. And so people ask, like, why weren't you better prepared? What do you prepare for? Like, what do you actually do prior to a black swan event happening? You can only react. You can only figure out what to do to keep the people safe as it's happening. And I think that preparation would have caused more harm because we would have had these things set up, maybe spend money on it. And none of them would have been true because 18 to 60 year old men were not allowed to leave the country. So if we had set up like places for them to go, everybody wanted to stay with their families. And all of that would have been lost because we then would have, you know, tried to be pushing for that or trying to be like, hey. You would have put energy in the wrong direction. I, I do think the preparation thing, and maybe you didn't do this on purpose, but there's something that happened inside of you and, and in your co-founder where your values were clear. Yeah. And again, that's not obvious to everybody, but that's that's enough of the kind of thought work or at some point in your life, you had to sort of establish that for yourself. And I do think that's the thing that leaders can do in the interim when they're not in crisis leadership moment. They can spend the time to talk with their co-founder, to talk with their team and do some of those scenarios of like, what if our team were to face this kind of challenge or that kind of challenge or a third of our folks couldn't come to work for six weeks? Like, what do we do in those scenarios? Values become clear and you're Financial management also is helpful. Yeah, it, that's an interesting point. And there's two ways to do that, I think, in my opinion. The first way is to talk about it out loud for the people that need to vocalize that to hear the reaction and understand. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also a silent way to do that is when you work with somebody for a while, you you start melding, right? Like we've all done this with a significant other. You just get into the routine where you kind of know where they are in the house, you know like the type of words they're going to say at a certain time, how stuff's going to be prepped around that. You kind of just meld into this one body, this one human. And you're just, you know, dealing with kids together, but you're one person, you're one mind. With a co-founder, you can get that. And that's the silent way of, you don't necessarily, in my opinion, at least, don't you don't need to talk about it all the time. But if you have that belief system that's so corely rooted to what you, you truly believe, you just know how that other person's going to react and you know how you're going to react and we're in line. So I think there's that silent part that's important too of, do you really believe in the person you're working with? And making those choices really carefully, obviously. Yeah. 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 Well, anything that feels unfinished or incomplete that you want to make sure you mention or talk about in our conversation? No, this was good. It took a direction that I'm glad we got to talk about the things that we did. 
it's difficult to express words when you're going through something like this, because again, I'm not the person there. I'm not the person that's has a family that I'm worried about every day. So it's difficult to think that I'm capable of talking about this during a time in which 25 people cannot, like they're not going to be on a podcast or they're not going to be able to vocalize their true opinions about this. And I wish I could like be a mouthpiece while they tell me, this is what you should say. This is how you should feel. This is what you should do because that's how they're feeling. And it's difficult to be a CEO in a place when my pain is not their pain, right? And I can only relate. I can only ask how they're doing, how they're, how, how are they today? How's their families today? But I wish there was a way to like vocalize this, if you know what I mean, through podcasts or outreach, because I'm the one here talking about it, but I wish I could bring their feelings to this more than I, than I currently do. I do hear you advocating though. I mean, I know you're not using their words, but you are saying on their behalf, people need stability. Right. People need to have meaningful work to do. People need to know that they're going to have some money and not have to add the worry about feeding their family to the worry of, will I get bombed? These are very simple, simple things, but I think you are telling their stories in a way that I think other leaders can hear and think, oh yeah, that's, that's true. That's what, that's what a business can do in this kind of capacity. So I'm grateful that you are telling, <laughs> telling the story on your behalf and on theirs. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I'm just trying to understand that from that aspect, I'm just trying to vocalize that in a way, you know, as we talk about it, I'm just trying to vocalize that that's the, that's where my mind is at least. Well, wonderful. If people want to know more about your work, your team, how this story is unfolding for you and your company, is there a place where they can keep tabs on you or where you're, we're talking about this? Sure. So we're active on LinkedIn. So our handle on LinkedIn is 923studio. And my Twitter handle is Andrew Amen, A-M-A-N-N. And then our website is www.923.co, spelt out with the letters. And that's you know, the places we have donation pages on our social media. We also have donations pages on our Twitter and you'll see on our blogs. A lot of the blogs now have a donation link on the bottom. We're still helping troops. We're sending money. We just actually supported a family that was helping disabled children. Uh, and we were getting money to the troops that were supporting the disabled children in Ukraine. So there's different avenues that we have that not everybody really has access to from here in America. So we're able to get money there and and support them where we can. And we're trying our best to, to do as much as we can. Amazing. Well, we'll put those links and information in the show notes. So if, you, if you're driving and you didn't get that down, you can go to zenfounder.com and find the episode and it'll all be there. Great. Thank you, Sherry. And thank you for taking me through this journey. You know, we, we knew the topic that we were going to talk about, but I'm, I'm glad the way you asked the questions. And I hope that, you know, we're able to go through this process together and kind of get what you wanted out of the the mind of someone going through this. <laughs> I, I always get what I want. <laughs> no, I, I was hopeful for a good conversation, which I think that happened. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. And thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.